Hello and welcome to No Rest for the Weekend. I'm Jason Godby, and today on the program, we're going to be talking about some of the films from this year's Sundance Film Festival. But first, we've got a quick word from our sponsors. Sponsored by Black Magic Design, the world's highest quality products for the feature film, post, and broadcast industries. BlackMagicDesign.com, Western Digital and SanDisk, the global leader in memory cards and SSDs. WesternDigital.com, the Tonkawa Film Festival, celebrating short films from around the world. TonkawaFilmFestival.com, and by JMR Rentals. Professional, digital, cinema and broadcast equipment rentals in Brooklyn, New York. JMRNY.com And joining me now, you know him, you love him from previous episodes of the show, and you can also see his work on sites like Ain't It Cool News and Collider, Mr. Eric McClanahan. Welcome. Very happy to be here, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. In the studio. Yes, finally drug me down to Brooklyn. Here I am. How did I get here? Made the schlep. (laughs) And the schlep it was. All the way from New Jersey. Yes. You saw some movies from Sundance. Yes. You you did not go to Sundance. No. I I got accredited to cover Sundance as a virtual uh, critic. And so I was able to see the films that were only on the online program. So some of the films that played this year that got a lot of buzz and a lot of interest, unfortunately, weren't able to be screened online. But I was able to look over quite a vast array of films and find some that I was really interested in seeing. I put 11 in my cart, ended up watching uh, eight films over the course of the the festival. In terms of overall impressions of the fest, what what did you think? Looking at... And this is speaking of some of the films that I haven't seen, but as I was looking over a lot of the synopses for the films, it's a very young year for the festival. A lot of coming-of-age films, a lot of uh, coming to grips with uh, growing up, adolescence, adulthood, uh, transitioning from one part of life to another. So I thought that was a really interesting thing to be for the film's festival's 40th anniversary to now have such young, vibrant programming. But that's also like the quintessential indie film. Yes. You know, like how many how many indie films are coming-of-age films? Right. Or Lady Bird, Perks of Being a Wallflower, Boy, Boyhood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, even going back further, like Clerks yeah. and, you know, uh, uh, the Richard Linklater uh, films like uh, – uh, what was the one where people wander around Texas? Um, Is that, that all the of them? Slacker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It began with Slacker. Slacker. Uh, <laughs> you know, so like those types of films, yeah. you know, those were – that's like – Sundance bread and butter, man. That's their Sunday punch, right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. So, uh, what, what's uh, what's the first film that you saw? Well, I wanted to put, I wanted to front load some of the award winners because, as you know, they always give out awards. They had over ninety premieres this year at the festival for its fortieth anniversary, and one of the first award winners that I saw won the award for the Waldo Salt Screenwriting Award, and that was given to Jesse Eisenberg, the actor who was turned filmmaker for his sophomore film called A Real Pain. Now, his first film was called When You Finish Saving the World, which is a family dramedy. This, A Real Pain, extends that family dramedy into a relationship between two cousins. So he and Kieran Culkin, but they play the cousins. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg plays David, and Kieran Culkin plays Benji. After the untimely passing of their grandmother, they were given an inheritance with the intent to spend it to go to Poland and tour her motherland 
and see what her experience was as she survived the Holocaust. So it starts with them meeting in the airport and flying to Poland. And right away you get a sense of, you know, which one is the more accomplished, which one's kind of the hapless uh, layabout. Uh, But as the film goes on and these characters begin to grow and begin to interact with each other and with the tour group that they're on, you start to see, you know, the cracks beneath the perfect veneer of the put-together one. You start to see the real authenticity and veracity of the hapless one. And Kieran Culkin gives a dynamite performance in this. And I can see why I won a screenwriting award because it's very, very funny while still being authentic and real like a and dramedy hilarious. Type. Yes, absolutely. So there, there were parts I laughed out loud. This film had the best use of the word boner I've heard in a screenplay in quite some time. I was in tears. Uh, but there's some great visuals. You know, there's a moment where they are touring an old camp and you see this cage that that's like a cattle cage. It runs the length of a, a warehouse full of shoes. Those shoes used to have feet in them. Oh, my God. It's breathtaking. And it's just sobering. It's just such a great movie. I loved A Real Pain. So this is his sophomore. Did you see his first film? I still haven't seen it. I really want to. I, I, can, I tried to do so before this because, you know, I knew I was watching a second film. But uh, I, I don't know that it's necessary. Uh, but I But based on the strength of this one, I know the man can make a good movie. So, yeah, I do want to see it. You know, it's, it's funny because to me, Jesse Eisenberg was uh, just, uh, you know, from the social network. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it was, it was Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And then he did that awful Lex Luthor. Yeah. And Batman we v don't Superman. Talk about that. Yeah, it was just <laughs> so sad. But, like, you know, I saw him in uh, the Hulu series. I, I saw it on Hulu. I'm not sure if the Hulu exclusive. But I saw him in Fleischman is in Trouble. Have you seen that? I still haven't seen that. It's really good. And he's really good in it. Uh, Claire Danes is also in it. And it's one of those shows that sort of shifts perspective mm-hmm. in an interesting way. And it's got a lot of surprises, too. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it already. But I was like, oh, he's good. Like, he's he's more than just this type of part. Yeah. You know? And uh, he has a, he has a real range to him. And he's been making movies since he was really young. Yeah. With with really good filmmakers. Like, you know, he was in uh, Noah Baumbach film, uh, Squid, Squid and the Whale, I think. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's, you know, he's been around. It's like when somebody says that, you know, Greta Gerwig's a good filmmaker. I was like, well, she grew up on film sets. Yeah, you know? absolutely. She's been doing this since she was like in her teens. So, of course, she's good by now. Did, did you, do we know if that film is getting uh, distribution yet? Um, I didn't look into that, unfortunately. I can't imagine it's not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with, with that star power behind it, with, you know, with winning a screenwriting award at Sundance. And Culkin just won the Emmy, too. Yes. So... Um, and I will, another thing about the film that really helps lend it the authenticity to the proceedings is because he's a Polish composer, it's filled with Chopin. Oh, okay. So every, every, uh, every morning, you know, when you wake up into a new scene, it's more Chopin for you. And I thought that was really a nice touch. All right. So what's the, what's the next film you saw? Chopin actually leads me into the next film. Um, which uh, what also featured uh, a nice Chopin piece at an important point in the film is a movie called Little Death by uh, Jack Bejer. This film won the Next Innovator Award. So, you know, they have their U.S. dramatic, they have their uh, U.S. documentary, uh, but then they also have this Next 
uh, program where they have films I don't quite understand how they fit in. And I can understand why this movie got into this program because it is a trip. Uh, it stars David Schwimmer as uh, a Hollywood screenwriter named Martin Solomon. And when you're watching the film, it starts with with uh, narration from his character, which then you learn is actually a character he's writing. But uh, his narration does sort of continue through. And it's about self-medicating uh, while also being over-medicated. And, you know, he has these different afflictions. He's getting all these pills and and he's losing himself in this. And it's about his relationship, his relationship to his work. Uh, he's he's a writer on a hack TV show and he really wants to be a, a a, a very strong independent filmmaker. He wants to be an authentic voice. And after, I can't say too much because after a certain point, it's no longer his story. Um, there's a change in his perception of his own reality. And then through that, we are allowed to follow a different through line. And the back half of the film is now a very young film. Now it's, now it's a couple of young people trying to make their way in L.A. And you think it might be their story. Is it kind of like a movie within a movie type of thing? Uh, no, it's more of those. It's, it's it's almost that Linklater slacker thing where oh, we just kind following. Of yeah, and then now we're following over here. Um, so you're following one through line and then someone throws it to someone else and now you're following them for a while. Is uh, it coherent though? Like, yes, very much so. Okay. Uh, it, but, but there was, I was watching it with some friends and there was one point, uh, during Solomon's through line that they got confused based on his perception of himself. And I had to remind them what, what was happening, but, uh, really very trippy, very imaginative, very daring. It takes a lot of, uh, a lot of risks, but I think they all pay off. And I can understand why it was given an innovation award because it was very innovative in the way that it was put together. Very cool. You know, I think most people still think of David Schwimmer as the Friends guy, you know. But, you know, he's a, he's he was a really good actor before Friends. Mm-hmm. And he was doing stuff on stage. And, you know, I, he's one of those people that kind of got the lost in the sitcom. What what do we think in terms of that coming out? Like, is that um, is that a streaming picture? Do you think that'll get a wide release? Um, I don't know how it. I mean, I could see it in an art house, uh, but more more than likely, I imagine you're going to find this on a, a streamer. Are we like uh, Bo is afraid territory? Yeah, I would go that far. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, it's it's not for everyone, but it. I think it really does reward the patient viewer, uh, the person who wants something different. Um, I kind of, as I was watching it, I was picking up all these little influences from other films. So I said, if you took Prozac Nation, Adaptation, Woody Allen, not a Woody Allen film, actually Woody Allen, (laughs) Kids and Requiem for a Dream with a dash of demonic AI in a blender, you'd have this film. I know if I want to see that (laughs) But it's interesting. There, there were there's some there's some shocking shots in the film that that come at you like through the course of you know just a regular runtime. You're watching. Oh, I'm watching this film. Oh my god, what was that? All right. So what's next? Uh, all right. We'll take we'll take the AI to jump into the next one. Uh, that's going to be the Alfred P. Sloan Feature Film Prize winner. The film was called Love Me. 
from a directing duo, Sam and Andrew Zuccaro. This film stars the talents of Kristen Stewart and Stephen Yen. Uh, as you know, Stephen Yen just won the awards for the limited series Beef on Netflix. So he's a very hot commodity right now. The interesting thing about this film, it's not a traditional love story, or is it? Because it is between a sentient buoy and a satellite. It takes place years after humanity has wiped itself out. The beginning of the film is actually a very brief and brutal hyper-time lapse of the end of mankind, uh, as seen from space. So this buoy is floating in the ocean completely alone, but has been, you know, it's, it's programmed with AI. It has sentience, so it knows it's alone. And there's a satellite that's buzzing by the Earth every now and then to see if the Earth is repairing itself, to see if there are any life forms. So when it beams down to communication, are you a life form? She says, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a life form. Yeah. And creates a persona based on a social media influencer that she found in historical documents stored in her memory banks. So she calls herself by that name. She says she's that person. And when the satellite tries to, uh, re you know, basically... Could, uh, like connect with her, uh, it also, with its sentience, wants to find something to latch onto. So she assigns it the identity of the social media influencer's boyfriend. So they kind wait, of... How, wait, hold on. I, I need a timeout. I need a timeout. <laughs> it's a lot. All right. So how is this being depicted? Is this live action? Is this animation? Is this? Are they just doing voiceovers? So at first... Kristen Stewart's voice is coming out of... Actually, at first, it's it's an automated voice coming out of the boy. It's like, hello. Um, but is, is it in, like, real life, or is it, yes, like, so love and death and robots or whatever? No, it, it, it's a pretty accurate, you know... It's, it's CGI, obviously, but no, it's not made to look animated. It's okay, okay. And, you know, the satellite buzzes by, and the first time, he's like, life form? She's like, no, I'm a boy. He's like, bye, and he leaves. So you know, the second time she's like, you know, I'm totally a person. Um, so she takes on Kristen Stewart's voice and then they basically they meet in a virtual space. And when they meet in their virtual space, then you see Kristen Stewart, you see Stephen Yen. It's acted out, you know, uh, with flesh and blood. And they their courtship plays out in this virtual space. That they've created. So it's two. We're to. seeing two real people. Yes. But the scenario is this is a virtual world that we're in. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. It takes investment from the viewer, which I think good film should. Um, and once we're in that space, you know, then it plays out like like an average love story. Um, but because she has all the historical documents of the social media influencer, as the videos move on, not everything's perfect. There, there is conflict, you know, there is, uh, you know, she's an influencer. He's just kind of there and, you know, he helps her out every now and then, but he pretty much gets tired of the performative aspect of it. And because they're so entrenched in their characters now, these two kind of feel some of that strain as well. Um, it reminded me a lot of Spike Jones's Her. Ah, uh, okay. With Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson um, with that AI, like, companion learning to love. It sounds interesting. It's, I, it know, really is. It's great. She's another one. I mean, she came off of that, like, the Twilight, you know, uh, thing. And, you know, Pattinson did the same thing. Mm -hmm. They both went for projects that were the antithesis 
of that type of movie. And much to their credit. Absolutely. I would say Radcliffe also. I would put him in that house too. Yeah, I mean, he did a bunch of Broadway shows and things like that. It's a shame that people, like actors 30 or 40 years ago, didn't know to do that. Yeah. Because, you know... Where is Steve Urkel now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but like it's so, you know, it's interesting. I don't, with a lot of these films though that come out of Sundance, it really does seem like, okay, they went for names mm-hmm. because they want people to see these movies, but they didn't go for what's like, you know, because like at Tribeca, which is a real, another big festival, you'll see more mainstream yeah. stuff, you know, uh, like they had a Disney film, a Pixar film, and, you know, which it couldn't be bigger. I do feel like they're going back to their indie roots. Yeah, they're very much champion, championing independent film. And as you said, these independent filmmakers, you know, they, they get the names so that they can get the funding, but they're still making their movie. They're still yeah. making it a, a, an independent film with a unique voice, a singular voice. Um, they're not being folded into the Hollywood system. So they're creating these offbeat stories. And uh, it's it's wonderful that there is still a place for this sort of thing to happen. All right. What's what's next? So this is a film that I followed up on and saw that it was purchased. Um, and this is another great uh, Sundance story. There's a film. It's called Thelma uh, from Josh Margolin, who wrote and directed this film, based it on a true, somewhat true story about how his grandmother was swindled out of some money by some... Uh, hackers, essentially. In the film, the actress June Squibb, who is an Oscar-nominated actress, but she's always been in a supporting role. Now, she's the lead at 94. Oh, wow. And her character, Thelma, is swindled out of $10,000 by a phone scam and takes it upon herself to track down the bad guys and get her money back. And she's inspired by watching the Mission Impossible films with her grandson and him telling her that Tom Cruise does all his own stunts. She was like, I could do that. And so she takes off to go try and catch them, much to the chagrin of her adult children, Clark Gregg and Parker Posey, who go chase her down and try and stop her. So she's trying to evade them. She's trying to get to these these scammers. She enlists the help of her very old friend, Richard Roundtree, who... Passed away last year uh, after this film finished wrapping. So, like, they meet in a senior facility because she needs his scooter. And <laughs> it's it's laugh out loud. It's heartwarming. It's endearing. It's inspiring. Again, you know, it's it's one of those films that it's a singular voice. You know, it's an action film. And the the main star is 94 years old. It was so much fun. It was it was just it was a delight in almost every way. Every time I hear about these films, like and we just I just interviewed some people from Slam Dance. Uh, you know those episodes are coming out as as well. One of them is is out with the Death Tour, and then we've got another one called Nina is an Athlete. These independent documentaries that are really good, but you're like, where does this where is this going to fit now? Mm-hmm. You know, in the cinematic landscape of blockbuster after blockbuster. Where every movie has to cost 150 to 200 million dollars to 250 million dollars to make, and has to gross a billion, or it's a flop. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm I'm glad this is, these are being made. I just hope they get somewhere. But anyway, that sounds interesting. I mean, I would I would definitely watch. But it's probably a Netflix or an Amazon or you well, know, Ma- Magnolia Pictures has the distribution rights now, so we'll see what they do with it. I'm 
curious to see where they put it. You know, I I, I was reading last night that uh, we are undergoing a sociological event called the graying of America. We have more senior citizens in America than we've had at any time in history. And the that demographic, are, yeah. Yeah, the boomers the, are getting up there. They're, and they're living longer because of innovations in medical technology. So they have longer lifespans. So there's a market for this film. And yeah. I think Magnolia saw that, which is why they're like, I love it. It's fresh. It's it's oddly young and vibrant. Let's do it. And I think I think their investment's going to pay off. I think I think there's a market for this film, and I'm really looking forward to the people who get to discover it. Uh, what what else we got? The last one that I watched was this film called Between the Temples, and it's uh, Nathan Silver, who is a filmmaker of renown. And I apologize, I can't think of anything he's done right now off the top of my head. But this film stars Jason Schwartzman. Carol Kane and Robert Smeagol. Schwartzman plays a cantor named Ben who has recently lost his wife. And in his grief and his loss of purpose, he's unable to sing, which is his job at the synagogue. Um, After a brief bar fight, his old music instructor, Miss O'Connor, finds him and brings him home. And the two create a friendship. And she says, hey, you know what would be great? Can you teach me? to have my own bat mitzvah because I didn't have the chance when I was a younger person. But, you know, my husband died. I have this independence. I want to celebrate my womanhood. Will you help me to have a bat mitzvah? And it gives him purpose. And But then they keep playing with, is this a May, December? Is it romantic? And they continually bounce around the subject purposefully showing you things and not showing you things, going only so far. So it keeps you guessing. It keeps you interested. It's very, it's cringy. It's anxiety-inducing. But it's a beautiful exploration of Jewish culture that asks questions and doesn't force answers. And, of course, it's Schwartzman. So he's great. It's laugh out loud. Best use of automatic door locks, of of automatic, automatic? We'll go with automatic. Best use of automatic door locks in a, in, a, in a comedy scene I've ever seen. So we had a very eclectic mix of films, very indie, very Sundance. It's the 40th anniversary. I did hear that uh, the Superman Christopher Reeve story uh, documentary got picked up. Mm-hmm. I had mentioned that in our preview episode, and I thought, well, of course it'll get. And it got picked up, of course, by Warner Brothers. What are the odds? Because, you know, who else? was? What, what are they going to give it to Disney? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like... Paramount? Right. Yeah. I think not. Yeah. All right. So uh, what else did you see? So uh, the one of the ones that I picked out was also an audience winner. It was in that next program that Little Death was in, and it was called Kneecap. It's a weird name for a film, but it is a, docu- a mockumentary about a northern Irish trio of rappers who call themselves Kneecap. And they rap in the native tongue as a, a way to keep it alive. And this is during a time that... So I think it, it is set, like, in the the near recent past because it's set during a time that they're trying to create legislation to preserve the original language, but there's a lot of pushback on it because a lot of the initial anti-government demonstrators would champion that language. And so there's a movement by a lot of right-wingers to stamp that language out. And these guys are essentially their 
they're guerrillas. They're they're uh, they're it's under- like the Irish nationalist kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, they're they're underground, and so it's like the it's like the Irish NWA. Michael Fassbender is in the film, and he plays the father of a couple of the rappers, and he is leg- like he's kind of shadowy because he legitimately was involved in some of that anti-government demonstration stuff. Um, but it's 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 brash, it's loud, a lot of drug use, a lot of language. Um, but again, authentic. I know I said that word a couple times, but it's just it's so relevant uh, to this festival and the, these stories that are coming out of it. So kneecap was a great one. And then I also saw a documentary, actual documentary from here in the United States, actually from over in the Bronx, uh, called As We Speak. Rap Music on Trial is the full title. And it follows a Bronx artist named Kemba who basically goes around the nation to understand and speak with different uh, hip-hop pioneers to understand what's happening with the weaponization of rap lyrics by law enforcement to create thin character definitions that convict these artists of crimes. Uh, so it's about the struggle f- between authenticity and art and incendiary imagery about representing the neighborhoods that they're coming out of, speaking the language of the underrepresented and the marginalized, but then having those words used against them. Uh, so it's a really it's a it's a damning portrait of of the way that police officers and the law enforcement system is using this art against its creators. It was uh, was produced in conjunction with MTV Films, so I'm sure it's going to be on Paramount Plus uh, by the time I finish this sentence. Uh, and I hope people check it out because it's a real eye-opener. Awesome, man. All right, so we're going to wrap up for people who uh, want to see your work and see you. Where can they find you online? Uh, so you can read my film criticism articles on Collider.com and AinItCool.com. And if you want to interact with me, I'm on Instagram and X at Eric M. McClanahan. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for taking this trip down the rabbit hole. For more of our content, including more movie reviews, visit our website, NoRestForTheWeekendPodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube, youtube.com slash GetBehindTheRabbit. I'd like to thank Eric McClanahan and our sponsors, Black Magic Design, Western Digital, the Tonkawa Film Festival, and JMR Rentals. For Behind the Rabbit Productions, I'm Jason Godby. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs>